May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. If you all do not know what a meme is, you need to get into your house. I would say out of your house, but people who are out of their house don't spend as much time on the internet. And to know what a meme is, you have to spend time on the internet. A meme is a picture. First of all, it's horribly spelled. It's, it's old English or something. It's M-E-M-E, -E -E, uh, which to me is meme. Uh, but it's horribly spelled, and what a meme is, is a picture, usually with words over it, that makes some kind of statement or joke. Now, as soon as Christmas Day was over, uh, I am, for you young gentlemen here, I'm 40, which means I actually still use Facebook. They don't. Nobody under a certain age uses Facebook, but I do. And I was on Facebook, and this one meme kept popping up amongst all my clergy friends, and also other friends who just happened to be Episcopalians, and it was a picture of Mary from Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey is a show, it was on uh, BBC, and then on PBS, and it's a show of a family in England around the 18, or 1920s, and the whole thing is, this is a very well-to-do family uh, with royal titles, if you will, and they're trying to keep their house running. And the show is all about them and about their staff, their servants. Uh, and it really was a wonderful show, but one of the things that kept coming up was this challenge of the way the world is becoming versus what they knew, the way it was. And they always have this thing along the lines of, well, I don't care what the world's doing. Here at Downton Abbey, we do it the right way. We do it properly. So this meme has been popping up, and you can't really see it, which is okay, because I'll put it out there when I leave, and you can all look at it and study it as you go. It's a picture of Mary from Downton Abbey, and what it says on it is this. The tree remains up until Candlemas. You'll get used to the way things are done around here. Properly. The tree remains up until Candlemas. You'll get used to how things are done around here properly, the right way. And I keep seeing this posting up. And you know what? I, I hope that if I take my sermon today and record it and post it on uh, Facebook, that all my other priest friends go and look at it who posted this picture and know that I am, in fact, yes, picking on them. Uh, for one, I get it. It makes sense because we all know that the true one correct way to worship God is the Episcopalian way. Amen. We got it nailed. Everybody else is wrong. And that's okay. If they come here, they'll get used to the way we do things properly. Which means Christmas is not one day. It's 12 days. We still have eight days left of Christmas. It's okay for them to be wrong. I don't mind. I know I'm right. Because the rubrics tell me I'm right. You guys, you might not know this. You might know this. We are a people of the book. And when I mean a people of the book, I'm actually not referring to the Bible. 
I'm referring to the Book of Common Prayer. We all know as Anglicans, Episcopalians, that the Book of Common Prayer is where we learn what we know and what we do. And it has rubrics in here. It has instructions. And if we follow those instructions perfectly, all will be well in our lives. We will follow God properly, the way we are supposed to, right? Because that is the Word right here. It's all written down. We follow the Word. We follow that. Or... Maybe you don't buy that. Maybe you don't necessarily agree that the Book of Common Prayer is the end all of what the Word is that we are to follow and how we do things. So if we're going to look for the Word, maybe we do step over and we look to our Holy Scripture, to the Bible. We look to the Old Testament. We might be able to find out what the Word is that's in there. Some people will tell you the bird is the Word. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But in our lessons today... We keep hearing about the Word. And we kind of, in a way, hear about the right way and the wrong ways to do things. Now again, you want to know the right way, just come here. We'll teach you the right way. We'll do it properly. Day after Christmas, I, I went to Publix. And what was interesting is the day before Christmas, I went to Publix. And what I found was a store that was packed. Just packed. But even though it was packed, people were actually being nice to each other. They were saying things to each other like, Hi, how are you doing? Merry Christmas. Do you have plans for the holidays? It was really quite nice. Now, the day after Christmas, I went into Publix, and there was nobody there. It was a ghost town. And even though it was a ghost town, it still took the gentleman behind the deli counter about 10 minutes to acknowledge me. I was the only one there in line. He didn't talk to me for a while. When he finally did, I was a bit frustrated. Uh, and I overheard his conversation with a friend of his. And the conversation with a friend of his was about Christmas music on the radio. His friend didn't think Christmas music really belonged on the radio, at least not for as much as it is, as long as it is. Uh, whereas he's a big fan of Christmas music. Now, just to let you guys know, I am one of those people who cannot wait for Thanksgiving because it means Christmas music is going to be starting on the radio. I'm very excited about that. And uh, I like all sorts of music. I like all sorts of radio stations. I listen to talk radio. I listen to music of every genre. But from Thanksgiving through Christmas Day, my station is locked on Christmas carols. I love it. My wife and I, we put Christmas lights up before Thanksgiving. Forgive me, Thomas Cranmer, and all you great Episcopalians. Uh, but no, because we, we, we love the holiday. But what was interesting is uh, even though this gentleman was talking about how he loved the music on the radio, he was talking about how he kind of missed it day after Christmas. And it already stopped. In fact, it stops on Christmas Day. It stopped. Like, I, think, I think Z88.3 will keep it going a little bit further on Christmas Day. That's our Christian radio station in town. But uh, 107.7, they stop it at like 6 p.m. So technically, Christmas isn't a holiday, is it? It's really a hollow morning. <laughs> because once we get through the morning of it, eh, what's left? Now we go back to our lives. Now we go back to begrudgingly holding animosity against the gentleman in front of me at the deli. I don't say hi. I don't wish him a well day or, or check and see what he's doing. I don't smile at a random stranger. I don't treat people with kindness. Why not? Well, because Christmas is over. 
Everybody knows Christmas ends at 12 p.m. on December 25th, right? So I started talking to the guy, and I, of course, I pulled out my, my wonderful, I know how to do things the right way. Well, you're sad that Christmas was over, but if you did things the right way, you still have 11 days left. If the radio station did things the right way, they'd still be playing Christmas music for 11 more days. They should be like us, because we got it right. We know the worlds. We know what's written in the Book of Common Prayer. We know uh, where it tells us that Christmas is this many days long. So stop being sad for yourself and get on board with the proper way to do things. <laughs> Our way. Our Gospel lesson which I don't have pulled up, begins poetically. It's the beginning of the book of John, the, the Gospel of John. And it starts with these words. In the beginning. Can you think of any other book in the Bible that starts with those words? Genesis. The Bible itself starts with those words. In the beginning. John starts it that way too. So when he's talking about the beginning, he's talking about the same beginning that Genesis is talking about. He's talking about the very beginning. And this is what he says about the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. What does that even mean? That is so foreign an idea. I don't understand that. The same way the gentleman looking across at me in public, as I'm talking to him about 12 days of Christmas, if he did things the right way, he didn't know what I was talking about. It didn't make any sense to him. To him, Christmas is a holiday that happens on December 25th, and then it's over and done. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Okay, so here's the Word, here's God, they're together. And the Word was God. Okay, now I'm totally confused. How can it be with God and God at the same time? This makes no sense to me. So what is this word that we're talking about? Well, if we actually look back to our Old Testament uh, psalm that we read today. By the way, we read the entirety of Psalm 147. And I know what you want to say to me, and I will respond, you're welcome. <laughs> I have an option today. We could have only done half the psalm. But when I read through it, I was like, no, we're doing the whole thing. Because this psalm, first of all, all the psalms are important. But this psalm, it gives us three places in it where it basically says, praise the Lord. In fact, it starts with that. It starts with praise the Lord. And then it ends with that. Praise the Lord. And you want to know why the psalm is so important? Do you know another word for praise the Lord? A synonym for praise the Lord? Hallelujah. And we haven't been saying hallelujah all during Advent. So I thought we should get them in now that Advent is over, Christmas has begun. Let's get our hallelujahs in. We're saying all of Psalm 147. And in Psalm 147, he says this in verse 15. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. His command his word. So maybe when we talk about the word, we're talking about his commands. If you go a little bit further down into verse 19, it says, He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and ordinances to Israel. 
So basically what it's telling us is the word is this. The statutes and the ordinances. The rules that God gave to Jacob, to Israel, that is his word. There's another word that we use for that, a synonym that we use for that. It's called the law. Not like the U.S. law, the Constitution. We're talking about the law of God. Represented in the Ten Commandments. And all the laws that follow. That is the word. So if we are following the word, then we are following the law. And I've got faces where people are looking at me going like, Wait, what now? That doesn't sound right. But that's what everybody believed. To follow the word, to follow God, was to follow his law. To follow his rules, his rubrics. To say, hey, by the way, you want to follow God? You do it this way. This is the right way. You follow his laws. That is following God. Walk in the footsteps of God's laws. Follow his word which clearly states 12 days of Christmas. It's right there in verse, I don't know what, but I'm sure it must be in there because it's so very important to us. His law is the word. But then something else happens. If you continue reading in our gospel lesson, uh, if you continue reading in the first chapter of John, he goes on to say this, okay, the word was with God, the word was God, his commands, that makes sense, I got that. And then a little bit later on it says this, and the word, his law, his commands, became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son. So now I'm totally because we're trying to figure out what God's word is, and God's word clearly just stays there. It's his laws, it's his commandments, it's his ordinances, it's his statutes, it's his rules. If we want to follow God, we need to follow that. But right now it's saying that his word became flesh. Now it also mentions, by the way, in our psalm, that he knows the stars by names. He knows them all. He's that big, that he's that powerful, he's that omniscient, that all-knowing, that he knows all of the stars and he knows their names. I cannot remember my wife's phone number. But he knows the stars by name. That same power, that word that in the beginning said, let there be, and there was, that same power that gave us these rules, these commandments to follow, even though we had no hope of following them, especially because we had no hope of following them. You see, if we were able to follow them, we wouldn't need Him. But because God knew that we were not able to follow those rules that He gave to us, so that we could learn that we were not able to follow, because of that, He became flesh, the power that fuels the stars. The word of God became flesh and walked amongst us. Why? Why would any, why, why? That makes absolutely no sense. But he did it. And if we look at our 
New Testament lesson from the book of Galatians. It tells us this whole story. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded, unable to escape the law. We had to follow these laws. We wanted to walk in the steps of God. You had to follow this law. And we were trapped under that. That was the only way we could do it. Until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, perfect, in order to redeem those who are under the law, so that they might receive acceptance. Is anybody reading along with me? Is acceptance the word? What's the word? Adoption. The word's not acceptance, the word is adoption. So that they might receive adoption under the law. Not under the law, as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer trapped under the law, but a child. And if you are a child of God, you're also an heir. And it's all done through the word made flesh, which is Christ. Another word, a synonym for Christmas, God's flesh. God alive as one of us. We no longer, if we want to follow in the footsteps of God, follow the law. Instead, what we do is we follow Jesus. God said, here's what I want. Now let me show you it. And he stepped down and became man to show us. So when I'm across a deli counter talking to somebody and I say, let me show you the way. There's 12 days to Christmas. We kneel when we pray. We stand when we praise. We sit when we hear. We genuflect. We cross ourselves. We make sure we come to church every single Sunday. We make sure we pledge 10%, unless you're Chris, 28%. If we want to follow God, we follow Christ. So if I'm looking at that gentleman across from the deli, here's what I can do. Instead of saying, you're wrong, come learn how I do things the proper way follow these rules. Instead, I say this. Christmas means God flesh. God alive with us. And here's the deal. He still is. Because he sent his spirit into us. The first chapter of John says that we cannot make the light. We are not the light. But we can reflect it. So instead of telling him he's wrong and I'm right, how about I show him the light of Christ reflected through me. And I say, I know it's a day after Christmas. I know 
everybody's grumpy and we're tired and we're frustrated and now we've got to go back to the real world because the hollow morning is over. Instead, I can look at him and say, my brother, you're still loved and I'm still going to treat you with kindness and I'll do it tomorrow and I'll do it the next day and I'll do it the next day and when we get to that 12th day, I'm going to keep doing it. Because Christmas is not one day. Christmas is not 12 days. Christmas is every day. And our jobs as followers of Christ is to show that, to live that, to say, come with me, let me show you the right way, the proper way. And the only requisite is that it's following Him. One of my theological heroes is a gentleman named Timothy Keller. He's a fantastic priest, and I heard a joke the other day saying that uh, other priests can tell when somebody giving a sermon is prepared, because if they're prepared, uh, the sermon sounds a, a certain way, and you can tell if they're not prepared. If they're not prepared, then they quote Timothy Keller a bunch. <laughs> And I've been guilty of that. I've definitely had times where I've thought, oh no, I've got to put together a sermon really quick. Let me just Google what Timothy Keller said about that. So I was doing that. And I was checking out what Tim Keller had to say about the Word. And there was really good stuff, but one thing really stood out, and it was a prayer that he said. And the prayer was along the lines of talking of how this God whose very voice fuels the stars. He's that big, but he loves me enough to send his son to die for me, to live for me, so that I could be adopted, not accepted, adopted into his family. And that, that evidence right there shows that I, in all of what I am, and all that I am, and how, and how messed up I am, and how flawed I am, that God still delights in me. And if you don't believe that, it says so right there in Psalm 147. I call this my grandmother verse, by the way. Psalm 147, it says that something amazing somewhere. He is not impressed by the might of a horse. We're not talking about a horse that pulls uh, plows. We're not talking about a farm horse. In this verse when it says he's not impressed by the might of a horse, we're talking about a war horse. We're talking about a cavalry. In this day, the greatest weapon any army had was a cavalry. If you had a cavalry, you were pretty much guaranteed to win. The strength, the speed, the force of an army on a horse, the only way you didn't win is if the other army had a stronger cavalry. So when we're talking about human strength and power, we're talking about a cavalry. And the psalmist is saying, eh, God's not impressed by that. Did I mention, by the way, his voice fuels the stars. Your cavalry is nothing. The speed of man is nothing. He's not impressed by us. But then it goes on to say this. The Lord has pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who await His gracious favor. God's not impressed by my strength, but He's impressed by my fear of Him. And the reason I call this my grandmother's verse is because 
I was scared of my grandmother. I was afraid of her. I would say I feared her. And the reason I know I feared her was because if I was doing something I shouldn't be doing, do you know what she would do to stop me? She would point at me. That's all it took. If she pointed at me, I stopped. I'm goofing off, she points, I stop, and I stand perfectly still. But here's the deal with that fear. That fear wasn't because if she caught me doing something I wasn't supposed to do, she was going to smack me, beat me, hurt me, or anything like that. That fear was because I loved her so much, I couldn't stand the idea that I might be disappointing her. My fear was love. I love this woman. And what she wants me to do is what I want to do for her. So when we talk about the fear of God, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who loves us so much that we need to love them back in a way to where we just want to live for them and not be afraid of them. And if we do that, he doesn't care about our horses, he doesn't care about our speed and our strength, but if we do that, that he delights in us. He's impressed by us. So Tim Keller uh, wrote this prayer. And I'm going to end today with this. So let us pray. Lord, it is astonishing that I can bring you delight. And this delight does not wax and wane depending on my performance, but is unvarying because I am in Jesus Christ. Let me start every day from the platform that the only eyes in the universe that count are delighted in me. Amen.